Welcome. This is the Fly Fishing Journeys podcast with host Rob Giannino, where we have great conversation with really awesome experts from within the fly fishing community. You see, the fly fishing lifestyle is a journey, and we're glad you're on this journey with us. Check out flyfishingjourneys.com for more podcasts, and please subscribe on your favorite podcast player. Here's your host, Rob Giannino. Let's face it, panfish, on the whole, are less glamorous than many of the other species we target with the fly rod. Catching a sunfish or a crappie, to some, may not be as cool as a trout or a tarpon. But for so many of us, we started fishing and maybe even fly fishing down at the local pond, catching bluegill, bass, crappie, and the like with bait, spinning rod, or maybe even a fly rod. The fact is, targeting panfish can prove to be a super fun day on the water with the fly rod. I mean, a good-sized crappie crushing a topwater bug is a ton of fun. And panfish can prove to be a great species for introducing a friend to fly fishing. Bart Lombardo is an expert in this space. He's the leading authority for both creating and tying patterns specifically for panfish. One pattern, the triangle bug, is a topwater bug and a killer pattern for bluegill, sunfish, and small bass. I'm excited to report Bart has an amazing book in the works, Panfish on the Fly, and you can look for that in early 2025. In this chat, we sit down to get to know Bart a bit, talk tips and tactics for Panfish on the Fly, and have a few laughs. Before we jump into the podcast, if you love to travel and are looking for an amazing adventure in 24 or 25, head over to the updated travel section of the Fly Fishing Journeys website. We have some amazing destinations and hosted trips available for you. These trips are highly curated, so much discretion and vetting has been put into each of them before they are chosen for you. Right now, we are focusing on Iceland, Patagonia, Alaska, and the Bahamas. We are also heading into India and the Brazilian Amazon this summer for some film work. If you'd like to travel with us, drop me a direct message or use the form on the travel pages and we can talk more. Now let's jump into the podcast with Bart. Before we jump back into the podcast, here's a short word from one of our fantastic sponsors. Are you a guide, a lodge, or a product manufacturer in the fly fishing or outdoor industry? I want to introduce you to and highlight Cross Current Insurance. Their entire team are great people and experts in their field. They have a guide insurance program that is amazing and very affordable. If you are a lodge or retailer, they also have programs tailored to your needs. These guys fish and are in the outdoors, so they know the industry and the landscape. To get more information on a program that's perfect for you, find them at CrossCurrentInsurance.com. Well, welcome to another edition of the Fly Fishing Journeys podcast. I'm your host, Rob Giannino, and we're excited to have Bart Lombardo from Panfish on the Fly on the podcast. Bart, thanks for being on the show. Oh, I'm glad to be here. I'm, Man, I'm honored, actually. Yeah, I appreciate that. We've, we've tried to have you on now, and we've been friends now for a few years, and you're tying up all these great flies at all the fly tying shows here at the International Symposium. What are you doing here at the symposium? I'm, well, doing what I usually do. I'm showcasing uh, fly patterns that are designed specifically for targeting the, the less glamorous fish out there, uh, panfish, species like sunfish, crappie, rock bass, and even larger fish like largemouth bass, smallmouth bass, uh, you know, kind of lumping them all together into uh, a general warm water category. Well, that's fantastic. And you actually have a book coming out, Panfish on the Fly. That is correct. Um, the book's going to be, I have to have my final manuscript delivered by May 1st of 24. It should have been delivered 
May of last year, but I was running a little bit behind it. The book turned out to be a much larger undertaking than I thought it would be. But I am on track to get it done by by this May, so I'm looking forward to that. And then, if you get it done by May for May of 24, when do you think it'll hit the shelves? It's probably going to be now. It's going to be pushed back to 2025. I would suspect the original publishing date was going to be in in 24. Yep. But since I'm not delivering the manuscript until mid year, we're probably looking at a 2025. It's a lot of work. It is a lot of work and much more work. I've, I've never, I'm not a writer, although apparently I am now. Um, <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah, yeah, I've done a, a couple articles for Fly Fisherman and some other uh, publications, but uh, yeah, the book is, uh, it's coming along and I've been enjoying the process. Very cool. So, uh, well, that's super exciting, man. And, you know, I think panfish, it's like one of those species or one of those collections of species that we can all relate to. Yeah, I think most of us started out that way, right? Yeah. I mean, we didn't go out there, most of us anyway, didn't go out there, you know, targeting trout right from the get-go. We started small. And my whole reason for focusing on these fish, as a fly fishing guide myself who, who focuses primarily for trout, I kind of realized early in the game that getting someone involved in fly fishing, bringing them out to a trout stream where an individual that's never fly fished before yeah. and getting them out on moving water and, and dealing with all the dynamics that you got to deal with with fly fishing on a trout stream. Getting success on those first couple trips really took a, more luck than anything else. Yeah. And if I could take that same individual and have them spend four hours with me on a local bluegill pond, their chances of catching a trout when they finally get out there and hit that trout stream, they probably go up tenfold. Yeah. You know, these fish are so cooperative. That horrible, ugly, sloppy cast that slams down on the pool, puts every fish down. <laughs> you do that on a warm water pond and you just rang the dinner bell. Instead of fish scurrying for cover, they're all looking up, want to know what made that disturbance. So they aggressively take flies. They're getting out there and fly fishing for panfish in a very short period of time. You'll be catching fish right away. You're getting line handling skill practices you get practice setting the hook you get practice fighting the fish landing the fish you know it's the biggest challenge is getting that trout to eat but then once that fish is on the line it opens up all these other problems that a a new angler has to deal with yeah line is wrapped all over the place they're (laughs) stripping when they should be letting line out and having a spending a couple hours with a species like a bluegill or another sunfish you'll get some of this stuff under wraps you know you'll get your you'll get casting practice you'll get practice setting the hook you get practice handling a fish on the end of the line fighting that fish unhooking the fish you know releasing the fish whatever the case may be but you're getting some experience so that when you do hit that trout stream at least what you're the equipment that you're holding in your hand is not unfamiliar to you yeah you, you actually have a little handle on how to use it that's fantastic and uh you know i think we like you mentioned we all started there i mean i can remember those days when i first started fly fishing like 23 years ago you know going in my little canoe to this backwater warm water river that's more of a flat water river where you have your crappies you have your bass and just finding these schools of crappie and just putting a little dry fly out there and watching them come up and sip it and setting that hook. And really, that's the beginning for so many people. If somebody has a friend or a brother or a sibling or a nephew or niece. Kids. Yeah. I mean, it is the perfect fish to start 
you know, a, a child out fishing, yeah. whether it's fly fishing or, or any type of fishing, spin fishing. You know, most of us started with a, with a bobber and a worm, and, and the first fish we caught was likely, a, you know, some species of sunfish. Yeah. Um, that's where I started out. That's where I started out fly fishing. You know, that's where I cut my teeth as an angler trying to figure out the whole fly fishing thing. It wasn't done on a trout stream. It was done on a, on a local bluegill pond. And as I'm getting up in age, I just hit my 60th birthday when the show started. You're kidding. I would you know, have never thought that. I I can see myself ending up where I began. You know, when I'm yeah. too old and feeble to wade a trout stream, I'm still going to be able to yeah. drag myself down to the edge of a pond somewhere and, and cast a fly for, for a bluegill. So, well, happy birthday. No, thank you. Thank you. So I want to dive deep into this panfish thing because I think there's so many ways we can talk and, and learn more about uh, being successful pan fishing and bass fishing. Before I do that, Bart, let's learn a little bit about you. Where do you live and where do you grow up? Well, I grew up right here in New Jersey, born and raised in New Jersey my whole life. I was started out in the northern part of the state in an urban area called Irvington, right next door to Newark. And when I was in high school, my family moved down to uh, Monmouth County. And I've pretty much stayed in Monmouth County from you know the time that I was, uh, I guess I was a sophomore in high school till, till the present day. I worked in, in law enforcement for 30 years. You did? Uh, yeah, I retired as a police captain from Marlboro Township in 2014. So Wow, 30 years in the police force. Yeah, yeah I started young and got out at 50 years old. So I started wow. around 20 and got out at just right before my uh, my 51st birthday. 30 years around the New Jersey area. I bet you saw some things. Saw some things, yeah. <laughs> yeah definitely saw some things. Break, but, breaking up a few things. But it's it's... It's great to move on to this second chapter of my life. When I left law enforcement, I actually, that's when I started my, my guiding career. Uh, Jim Holland, who owned Shannon's Fly Shop for, for many years in California, New Jersey, he had been, been hounding me for years to come and guide for the shop. And, you know, working full-time in law enforcement, there was just no, no time for that. Um, but I don't think I was retired for more than 10 days when that phone rang and said, all right, you got no excuse. You got you to come work for wow. us. Wow. So I... Um, since retiring in 2014, I've been uh, guiding for uh, Shannon's, and, and unfortunately, we lost Jim uh, last year oh, to, to cancer. And but the shop has new owners. Um, it's been rebranded as South Branch Outfitters, and it's a, a young couple that that took the shop over. They're doing a fantastic job with it. And for the last year, I've been I've been guiding for them now. Good for you. And so you still work at the shop, or just guiding? So I, I just guide at South Branch Outfitters, but I do work for Orvis, um, Orvis in, at their Princeton location. Oh, you do? I do. And I've been with them almost five years. I think I'm coming into my uh, fifth year next year with them. Wow. And, and I do a lot of their uh, fly fishing and fly tying instruction. I do their one-on-one classes. Amazing. one classes, and then I run a lot of their uh, fly tying schools there. And that's how you became friends with Tom Rosenbauer? Or? Um, actually... I first met Tom through Panfish on the Fly. Um, okay. Tom actually uh, reached out to me, and I don't know if I was working for Orvis at the time. I don't believe I was. But um, he reached out to me to do a podcast with him talking about what we're talking about today. It's Panfish on the Panfish Fly. Panfish on the Fly. And so uh, you retired as a, a police chief. Captain. Oh, Captain. captain. How does the roles work? The that would be that would be one step below, below chief. I was actually okay. um, kind of being 
you know, groomed, if groomed you will. for the Chiefs position, but I had already had my 30 years on. Okay. Uh, the current Chief was a good friend of mine, and I knew he wasn't going anywhere anytime soon. In fact, uh, I think he worked for another seven years after I retired and had to retire when he reached the mandatory 65 and, okay. and he left. So I had no intention of staying that long, so I graciously bowed out okay. at 30 years. And, uh, you know, I had a good career, loved every minute of it. But after 30 years, I was ready to move on. Ready to move else. on to fishing and tying. Yep. Now, let me ask you a question. Did you wear this incredible long white beard when you were a, no, pl- the a police only captain? Time, the only time that I had a beard that looked like this, and, of course, it wasn't white at the time, is I worked undercover narcotics for about two years. And, oh, wow. And during that stage of my career, I, I kind of looked like Willie Nelson. I had a real long beard. I had a ponytail, hair going down the middle of my back. And that, that was the only time, other than a mustache, that I had any facial hair in that 30 years. So, But once I retired, I made a vow. I'm not picking up a razor again, and this is what you and get you've, for And you've stuck to it, huh? You haven't shaved since. No, haven't shaved since. Wow. You think you're going to hold to that? Or oh, you... I think so. I think so. I think my wife would like it a couple inches shorter, but it, it grows like a weed, so yeah. uh, it's not going anywhere. It seems a touch shorter than I remember it, it last is. year. It is. I did have. I, I took about two inches off okay. uh, before this show. I bet you it's come, come back, though. Oh, wait. No, yeah. they, it, it's about an inch a month that comes off this thing. That's amazing. Yeah, I can't just... grow it on top of my head anymore, but I have no t- <laughs> problem growing it underneath. Now, do you beard oil it, or what do you do there? Uh, not much. Not just, too much? You know, the only thing I do have to do is I do have to blow dry. I've never used a blow come dryer on. in my life. If I don't dry it, it soaks into my shirt all day long. So you blow dry it. I, I have to it. blow dry my beard. We need to get day. a video of that. That's <laughs> what I would love a video of. Forget all this podcast Because otherwise, it just drew slowly soaks into my shirt that's amazing yeah. you're a high maintenance yeah, guy i am now <laughs> i never was before you're a high yeah. maintenance well that's really i cool, actually man. for the first time in my life i own a hair dryer yeah so that's awesome so do you kind of take advantage of this look around the holidays is what i want the to know only the only santa gig i have is the fly shop shannon's what they would do every year is they would stock fish in the south branch of the Raritan River, and they would do it right before the holidays as little thank you for their customers for supporting the shop all year. They would purchase, you know, between 250 and 500 fish, and they would seed the river in and around Califon, New Jersey. South branch of the Raritan runs right through the center of Califon, and uh, they would put fish in the river for the anglers over the Christmas holiday. And as part of that stocking, they would tag two fish, and they were dubbed Bubba the Trout. And there was a Bubba Brown and a Bubba Rainbow. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And these fish were tremendous. They yeah. were usually measured somewhere between, you know, 26 and 30 inches long, just massive fish. And it was a contest. There was a, the, both of these big fish were tagged. They had a, a removable jaw tag. And if you caught the fish, removed the tag, and documented the release of the fish, with a photograph or, you know, video or something like that. You could come into the shop and exchange that tag. And it was usually a very valuable prize, rod and reel outfit, something along that lines. But it was usually a prize worth somewhere between, you know, 600 and and $1,000. Wow. So this generated a lot of interest with the, with the local anglers. And what would happen was as soon as word got out that we were out with the stocking truck, folks would start following us around to see where we put these big fish in, trying to get an edge on this competition. Well, we, want, we didn't want that to happen, so what we started doing was stocking at night. 
we'd go out under the cover of darkness and we'd put the fish in the, in the river. And after I retired and, and grew this beard, I thought it would be a good idea. Well, why don't you dress up like Santa Claus and yeah. you ride on the back of the stocking truck and you could put Bubba in every year. So that's, for the last couple of years, that's the only, the only Santa gig I've ever had. <laughs> but I dress up like Santa Claus and stock trout in the south branch of the Routon River before Christmas. You're delivering gifts. Delivering gifts trout, to everyone. Trout gifts. <laughs> yep. That's pretty awesome. I get. I bet there's some great photos of this. There are. I have some uh, some really incredible photographs holding some incredible looking fish dressed like Santa Claus. That is awesome. Well, I'm glad I asked. We're going to take a short commercial break to hear from Tim O'Neill of Norvice. What makes the Norvice different than another system? There are a lot of rotary fly tying vices out there. The Norvice is the only vice that will truly spin when you tie flies, and there's a big difference between rotating a vice slowly and spinning it at a bit of a faster RPM. And being able to spin the hook on a zero-axis rotations opens up a lot of doors for us in the world of fly tying. Tell me about the introduction of colors to the Norvice system. When we obtained the company from Norm, he said to me just a very, very short statement. He said, you know, I always thought a colored Norvice would be a cool item. We brought out five colors, Radical Red, Sunset Orange, Shamrock Green, Liberty Blue, and Royal Purple. We have five colors along with the black that you're accustomed to seeing with Norvice, and we've been doing very well with those. To find more information in their online store, visit nor-vice.com. Well, that's cool. So if I was looking to start tying and start fishing for panfish or if i had a brother or if i had somebody i wanted to teach with the fly rod let's kind of go in that direction there so would you say would be some great patterns to start with well the good news is if you already fly fish and you fly fish for species like trout you already have the flies okay all right these fish are not picky you know they'll they'll eat all of the you know the flies that you're currently fishing for trout whether it's a dry fly nymphs small streamers you know they'll eat they're not particularly selective. Okay. But being a, a fly tire and being somebody that wants to kind of accurately represent what the fish are eating, I've developed, you know, flies that instead of mimic the insects that we see on a trout stream, that mimic the in- insects that these fish eat naturally. So when you talk about aquatic insects, you know, things like dragonflies and damselfly nymphs, as well as the adults. A lot of lakes and ponds have some of the cooler water lakes will actually have some like calabatus mayflies. Um, you may find, you know, the odd. It's mostly dragonflies, damselflies. Yeah. But they'll also react very strongly to any terrestrial insects. You know, and bugs are always falling into water. So yeah. ants, crickets, beetles, hoppers. In the last couple of years, the spotted lanternfly scourge that's taking over the eastern seaboard. Yeah. Um, it's provided some fantastic fly fishing for, for warm water fish as well. Yeah, I, a woolly bugger. Just your classic woolly bugger. Woolly bugger can imitate a small bay fish, a leech, uh, yeah. a lot of the organisms that these fish are used to eating. And of course, you know, panfish in general, are, they love feeding on the surface. Yeah. So since you have the ability to catch more fish than you typically do on a trout stream, your flies need to be a little bit more durable. So this is where like your your foam bugs come in, cork poppers, hard body poppers. Yep. Um, you know, they'll catch fish after fish after fish and still keep going strong where, you know, you can tie on a size 14 parachute Adams, catch a half a dozen fish, and it's gone, you know, it's gone after that. Yeah. So flies that are made out of uh, materials like um, closed cell foam, you know, your standard craft foam that you'll get in a, in a 
Michaels like, yeah. or Joann's or something like that, that two millimeter phone, you could create a whole host of flies using materials like that. Yep. I often found that the Hornberg, I don't know if you remember the Hornberg. Hornberg happens to be one of my favorite panfish patterns for a number of reasons. You can fish that fly like a dry, mm-hmm. and then if you don't get a fish on the dry, a couple tugs gets that fly to sink, and then you can retrieve it back to you like a streamer. Yeah, I love that. So it's a double-duty fly. Fish it on the surface as a dry. Nothing takes it on the dry. Yeah. Bring it down underneath the water and retrieve it back as a streamer. Yeah, and I found like even going a little smaller than you would go for like a trout. Sure. For yeah, the like Hornberg. Size size 12. Yeah. You know, uh, size 10 is, is a great size for these fish. Hornberg, I like that. Well, cool. And so, I mean, if I like lead or something a little maybe thicker, like a 1X or... Like a 1X or a 2X, something you yeah, throw well, in? Yeah, as far as leaders or, you know, tippet strength, you don't have to. These fish are not tippet shy. They're yeah. not line shy. So I generally are fishing anywhere from, you know, 4 to 2X for, for most of them. Yep. For certain times of year, like we're getting into these colder months now, all these lakes and ponds are, you know, Calib- or not um, calibatus, but coronamids, midges. Yeah. You'll find a lot of these small bugs, just like um, you know our stillwater trout fisheries rely a lot on these insects. These insects exist on most warm water bodies of water as well. So as you get into the colder months, you'll, you can actually get some very good topwater action fishing small midge imitations. So we start to get down to those small flies, then we want to roll that tip and size back. Four to, or five yeah, or something. Four or five, even six at times Okay, you know, for the real cold water stuff. What size rod do you recommend throwing for panfish? My favorite is a kind of a soft action four weight. You know, okay. uh, what they call a mid flex or a full flex rod. I love glass. Sure. You know, and, and a four weight gives me a couple of advantages. It's light enough that you can still appreciate the spunkiness of these fish. They're hard fighting fish, especially on light tackle. Mm-hmm. You go out there and fish with a seven or eight weight form, you know, you're not going to appreciate their fight. But you scale down that that rod size. I fish rods from, I have a, actually have a, a pretty cool little fiberglass one weight, an old Reddington butter stick, all the way up to about a uh, six weight when I have to use sinking or intermediate lines. But generally, I think a four weight, a soft action four weight is a great overall rod. You can throw tandem rigs, you can throw more air resistant flies like poppers and gurglers, but it's still light enough to you know, appreciate the fight of the fish. A lot of anglers like the lighter stuff, the two weights, the three weights, but those rods could kind of collapse a little bit when you're st- throwing some bigger, more air-resistant flies. Yeah, reels, I guess, just hold something to hold line. Something to hold line. The same thing, you know, you know drags and not important here. Yeah. Um, you know, unless you accidentally hook a big carp or something like that, you're never going to use the drag on your reel. And that, it does happen, but, you know, by and large, there's really nothing important that you got to worry about with a reel. For those poppers, is there a specific size? or So I tend to fish probably flies that are a little bit larger than most anglers. I'm targeting the larger specimens whenever I can. So I'm actually fishing sizes, you know, flies that are in like a size 6, size 8 range. You yep. know, that's kind of my sweet spot for these bigger fish. I designed a fly called the triangle bug. This triangle bug's kind of a unique pattern. It has a triangular-shaped head. That's where the name comes from. And the only reason that shape exists in that fly is to keep these small mouth panfish from swallowing the fly. Bluegills, other members of the sunfish family, they got tiny mouths, but they have this ability to really take flies very deeply. Mm-hmm. And 
because their mouths are so small, it's very difficult to get in there with a pair of forceps to, you know, get the fly out of them. So I've designed this fly called the triangle bug that has a narrow edge at the back of the business end of the hook where they can grab this fly off the surface, but that wide leading edge kind of chokes them up. They can't get the fly down into their mouths. Okay. And that's the only reason that shape exists. It's just solely to keep the fish from swallowing the fly. Wow. But it's very effective. It, um, it's been an extremely popular fly for me. And, it's going to uh, be in the book? It will be. Of course, it will be in the book. I actually have River Road Creations is making a foam cutter for me. They've been uh, producing a foam cutter that creates the perfect shape for the body. And going into 2024, we'll be adding two more sizes to that. That's A cool. larger one for bass, and I get a lot of requests for a smaller bug. I'm reluctant to go much smaller because it would kind of defeat the purpose of that whole ability to keep the fish from swallowing right. it. But I've been experimenting with a couple sizes, and I think I have a smaller size that'll still work as designed, keep the fish from following the supply, but allow a, a smaller profile. Is that a fly available online or in not, any shops not right now? Not as of yet. Got to buy I, it from I, you I directly. Do, I tie it commercially. I know the South Branch Outfitters, they've been hounding me to get some in the shop there. But a lot of people, it's a simple fly to tie. The cutters are out there for folks to get. Okay. I'm actually in discussion with A-Rex right now. To, for There was an old discontinued Mustad hook. that It was a unique hook. It was a popper hook, but instead of having a vertical kink, the kink was horizontal, went side to side. Yeah. And what that did, it created that double-layer flat-bodied fly. It prevented that foam from rotating on the hook. Okay. I've exhausted the world supply of those hooks, and I'm in, in conversation right now with A-Rex to actually produce That'd that be hook. amazing. Form. So I'm looking Good forward luck. to that. Good Hopefully luck with that. that. Yeah, and then eventually once the book comes out, people can tie these themselves. Oh, yeah, and people are tying them now. I've literally sold hundreds and hundreds of these foam cutters. Yep. There's a lot of folks tying this bug now, which I think is pretty cool. I never never dreamed that, you know, that would happen. And the foam cutters are at your booth? Uh, well, I'm not selling anything here at the show today. Okay. I don't have a seller's booth, but I do have them on the site, and... The funny thing with these cutters, there's been such a demand for these things, is that my supply chain, I work directly with River Road, and they produce all of the foam cutters for the industry, yeah. uh, for big organizations like Hairline, and they, they can only fit me in in between production runs, mm-hmm. So, but as soon as they come in, they sell out. I have not been able to keep one in the web store for since March of last year. Wow. They come in, they go right out the door. Amazing. Yeah. We're going to take a short commercial break, guys, and we will be right back. All right, welcome back, guys. So we've got Bart here, and we're talking about panfish on the fly. And what I was always fascinated with, Bart, when I've gone out uh, sunfish or panfishing is all the different colors and all the different beautiful species of panfish that you can find. I mean, you have your, your pumpkin seed. Is this something that you're even looking at with the book or something that you're doing yourself? Yeah, so in the book that's coming out, Panfish on the Fly, a full third of the book is going to be devoted to all the different species of members of the sunfish family. So, you know, a lot of folks don't realize that, um, you know, even larger fish like largemouth bass, smallmouth bass, they're sunfish. They're, they're all in the same family as bluegills and pumpkin seeds. So, you know, they are technically members of the sunfish family. And the sunfish family incorporates a, a pretty broad group of fish. You have your true sunfishes, and that's your bluegills, your pumpkin seeds, your green sunfish, long ears, red ear sunfish. And then there's a lot of smaller species like orange spotted sunfish. And there's some regional. New Jersey here, we have a couple actually sunfish that are on the endangered species list, the mud sunfish, the banded sunfish. 
um, those are all members of the true sunfish. And then we have like the crappie family. You got white and black crappie, and there's there's kind of a go-between fish called the flyer, found in the southeast. And it looks, if you look at that fish, it looks like a mix between a bluegill and and a crappie. And then you got your warmouth and your rock bass, um, also members of the sunfish family. But a lot of folks don't realize that largemouth bass, smallmouth bass, spotted bass, all the river bass, you know, the red eyes, and you know the. Um, the fish, uh, the southeastern United States has a lot of individual, you know, very limited strains of, of bass that are, are just isolated to specific waters, waterways, yeah. you know, specific water systems. So all these fish are incorporated within the sunfish family. But there's also some other fish out there that kind of fall into the general panfish terminology. Yeah. You, you talk about fish like yellow perch, white perch. Yep. I consider fish like white bass. You yeah. know, I lump them into this family. So um, I'm going to cover all these species in the book, but these are all, again, these are excellent targets for the fly rod. And some of these fish, like the pumpkin seed, like the long ear, I would argue that they're every bit as beautiful as, some as of, trout. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, I've seen some of those pumpkin seeds and the different versions that you mentioned, and you just look at them, and especially when you happen to find that bigger specimen, it's like, this is amazing. Yeah, they're just a kaleidoscope of colors. They're, they're gorgeous fish. And big crappie. I mean, I know some people just spend a lifetime chasing big crappie. Oh, sure. You know, and, and these fish all have their following. I mean, you've got anglers that dedicate themselves to doing nothing but fishing for, um, you know, species like crappie. Or, of course, the whole tournament thing, chasing, you know, the largemouth bass, smallmouth bass. But, you know, when you come to think of another reason for me, you know, starting up this whole panfish movement, in addition to getting folks into fly fishing a little easier, if you think about it, there's a lot more of this country without trout water than with. Right. And all of this country has these panfish species. I don't care where you go in the continental United States, you're going to find members of the sunfish family. You're going to find fish like, you know, white bass or yellow perch or white perch. Where our trout fishing is, you know, we're really limited to the, you know, the northern section of the country where, or in the mountainous regions where the water stays cool enough to support these cold water fish. So there's a lot more fishing opportunities out there yeah. for folks to pick up a fly rod. You know, fly fishing is so salmon and trout oriented or even, you know, salt water. Right. But there's so much more of this country that has fishing opportunities, fish that can be targeted with a fly. Yeah. And in my opinion, are, are just as much fun. Yep. Smallmouth and a pike and muskie we haven't even talked yep, about. It's a different, about that, different uh, animal altogether, but... But yeah, and, and you know that's the the fun part about these panfish is that you can get that instant reaction. You know, get that instant action. Uh, actually, be, can can be quite good eating too if you want to well, throw something in a pan. One hundred percent, a pan that, of the panfish. Right. That's where the name comes from. But um, I don't think there's a finer meal than you know fried bluegill that are coming out of clean water. It's one mm-hmm. of my favorite fish to eat. And the other good thing about these fish is because of the the way they reproduce and you know they're actually sustainable you know you can if you wanted to take an occasional fish home for the table you could do it guilt-free mm-hmm. um, like unlike our trout which are highly pressured in a lot of areas the water conditions are you know 
somewhat marginal in some parts. You take New Jersey, for example. We have some excellent trout fishing here in the state, but we really have to safeguard that fishery during the summer months. It just gets too warm to fish for trout. Well, again, another reason panfish here are here. We don't have to hang up that fly rod when the trout season ends in late spring, early summer. We can keep on fishing, fly fishing all summer long. We just switch gears. Instead of heading up to North Jersey to fish for trout, I could walk out my door and be on a local pond within five minutes of me stepping out the front step of my house. The Fly Fishing Show Tour travels the country every winter. From January until March, the largest consumer fly fishing shows in the world will be in seven locations. The stops are Marlboro, Massachusetts, which covers the New England area, Denver, Colorado, Edison, New Jersey, which is the New York, New Jersey and Mid-Atlantic State Show, Atlanta, Georgia, Bellevue, Washington, Pleasanton, California, the Bay Area Show, and finally back to where it all started in Pennsylvania at the Lancaster Show. These are super fun events that are packed with teaching, presentations, and everything you would ever want to know or see in fly fishing. Find all the details at flyfishingshow.com. Now, do you uh, travel at all for fishing? I travel a lot for fishing, but most of my travel is oriented around around trout fishing. Okay. You know, I I go out to uh, Montana most years for the month of July. Um, I have regular trips to Maine, although in Maine I target both landlocked salmon and smallmouth bass and, and species of panfish. And you know, but a lot of my travel is is trout oriented. I see you and Lou like they make that trip up to Maine. Yeah, I, well, I go up to Maine two to three times a year. Okay, um, I go up in the spring for salmon and smallmouth. Uh, during the summer, pretty much it just target smallmouth ex- and largemouth exclusively, and then uh, back in the fall for the salmon uh, fall run. Are you uh, Grand Lake Stream? Grand Lake Stream. Yeah, that's got that, a nice small one. Yeah, you smile at me like you're not supposed to say that on the, well, on the it's, internet. Well, it's no secret, but um, you know, <laughs> like, it's no re- telling my spots. It's it's a kind of place that's remote enough to keep a lot of folks out. Yeah. And quite frankly, there's just limited lodging opportunities up there. Even if you yeah. wanted to go, you know, you're hard pressed to find a place to stay. You're yeah. in the middle of nowhere, and not a lot of lodging exists. So I've, that still keeps it kind of safe. Yeah. but uh, mum's the word. I'm I don't know what I'm saying. Anything, I mean, you can go to Grand Lake Stream and still not figure it out. You have to go and figure it out at the same they're, time. Well, landlock salmon are a cool fish. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're a really, really cool fish. I love them. I cut my teeth in Rangeley, the Katsuptic, mm-hmm. the Kennebago, and the Rapid. Yeah. No, that, the Maine is just an incredible yeah. place. And they have such widely varied fisheries. It's one of my favorite places on earth, right right there behind Montana. Yeah. And then after kind of did my time up in uh, the Rangeley area, we kind of moved over to the Mount Katahdin area and uh, fished the west branch of the Penobscot. Some great water, landlocked water. Yeah. There's a few pools up there that I've spent some evenings and there's just like, you know, 22-inch landlocked salmon comes flying out of the water just at black, dark and it's, yeah. It'll change your life. You yeah, know they're, I mean? they're such a cool fish. You know, we go up there in May and we're targeting the fish during the Hendrickson hatch. Okay. So we're getting these fish, these landlocks to come up and, you know, take Hendrickson dry flies, you know, um, which is just a phenomenal way to fish for them. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty wild. So where can you find, I mean, obviously you can find any great pan fish in, like you say, your local ponds and stuff, but are there places in the world, like we look at like a, a Maine or a Montana 
that are like really people travel to go pan fishing. Well, this is the great thing about these fish. It doesn't require that. Yeah. Because they're everywhere. And you could have the most incredible fishing, right? You know, there, there could be some, you know, ignored farm pond or a yeah. know, city park pond that doesn't see any angling pressure. And you could have a world-class experience experience right in your own backyard yeah so that's another reason to promote these fish is that it's the fish for everybody you, yeah. it doesn't require uh you know 25 mile hump across country to, to go out to montana to enjoy a, a quality fishing experience literally within five miles of where i live for a presentation that i did once i i literally pulled up google maps and i highlighted all the fishable waters within a five mile radius of my home, and I came up with almost 80 bodies of water wow. that I could fish within five miles of where I live. And some of them are fantastic fisheries that, you know, I've, I've never had better fishing anywhere else. Is there a time of year that's better than others? So there is. I mean, most people, when they start talking about panfishes and, you know, members of the sunfish family, they target them during the spawning season in the spring. These fish are in the shallows. They're on their beds. They're highly aggressive. You know, male sunfish first enter the shallows. It's the male sunfish that, that builds the nest, guards the nest, and, you know, the female comes in, lays the eggs, and, and then it'll go hit another nest, lay eggs there. But it's the males that become highly territorial, highly aggressive, and anything that comes near that nest is going to get savagely attacked. So it could make for some fantastic fishing. You know, truly one of these things where you could truly have like a hundred fish day is, yeah. is possible for this. But the good news is, is that you can fish for it. And most anglers, that's when they target them. And then once the spawn is over, they kind of give up on them. Yeah. Um, they do have, do have a tendency as the water warms, just like any other fish, they, they want to avoid those those hot shallows. So they'll, they'll go a little bit deeper. Yeah. But typically in early morning and late evenings, they'll come shallow again to feed. So spring, summer, and fall are ideal times. But I even fish for them during the winter. And winter fishing could be a little technical, so if you want that challenge, yeah. you could get it during the winter. But as long as there's not ice on the water, I can fly fish for panfish. And, you know, if you are a, a, an ice fisherman, you'll know that you catch these fish through the ice all year long. So they never stop eating. That's a good thing about them. Is there a time of day that is better than others? It, it's seasonal. So, you know, if you're out there during the spring when, you know, say, at least here in the northeast, you know, early, late April, early May, Anytime, day or night, these fish are in the shallows. They're aggressive. They're feeding. But as you get into the warmer months, I tend to do most of my fishing, like during the dog days of summer, it's going to be either at first light or last light. Yeah. You know, I don't want to be out there sweating my ass off on a sheet of plastic, sitting on top of a kayak, baking in the sun. I wait for the cooler parts of the day where I'm more comfortable, the fish are more comfortable, and they're more active. More aggressive. You know, in the yeah. middle of the day and a summer day, those... If you're going to get them, you got to fish deep. you got to get down to the fish because they're going to be a little bit lower in the water column. So, like, full sinking line. Yeah, I fish a lot of intermediate lines. In fact, uh, yesterday I was tying up some floating uh, dragonfly nymphs. These are a big, size sick nymph. But they're, they got all foam underbodies. The flies actually float. And I'll present them on a sinking or an intermediate line with a long leader. That line sinks down into the weeds, and that fly suspends right above the top of the weeds, and it's deadly. You know, Cheech and Tim Camisa and I were talking about this outside last night. And we were talking about even like brook trout down in Patagonia, and he's got this parabolic line, which is like a sinking line exactly. that was it, it was made out of uh, England, and he'll put like a, a booby fly all the way at the point, and then have like a, a leech, almost like a balance leech at the beginning, 
So when you cast it, the booby is up at the top, but the leech is down at the bottom, and then you present it with the sinking line, and it creates, as you strip it, it creates this undulation effect. Exactly. And so that fly never stops moving. And this is what I'm exactly what I'm doing for these fish. You know, I, I didn't invent the wheel. I didn't, you know, I'm just taking these still water trout tactics, and, it, you know, we're, we're talking about the same general type of environment. Yeah. These are still water lakes and ponds, and all I'm doing is, is changing the flies. You know, change it. And, and if sure, I'm sure these same leeches and boobies, they're going to work just as well on panfish mm-hmm. as well. But it's those techniques. I'm adopting them for these warm water fish and enjoying the same levels of success. Is there books like that you've learned from? Yeah, there are a couple out there, and that was one of the reasons why I thought I'd, I'd write a book in this area. I mean, when you look at the, all the books that have been written about fly tying or fly fishing, I mean, there it's... A huge variety, but most of them are centered, you know, trout, salmon, and saltwater. Um, so Terry like, a, and, like a Phil Rowley yeah, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, but Terry and Roxanne Wilson, um, they they have uh, they did an excellent book. Actually, I think they have two or three books out: one on crappie and and two on uh, fishing for for sunfish. One specifically for bluegill. There's been about a half a dozen good titles written yep. on on the subject. Who are some people you follow? Like you mentioned the the couple there. Who else would you follow for for panfish? I don't know if there's a lot of people doing much in this space. (laughs) Bart Lombardo, this is the guy. (laughs) This is not the guy. I'm the one you want to follow. I love that. Yeah, but like here's another side note. So when I started the business, Panfish on the Fly, I I thought I'm going to create a a Facebook site for the business. And I started getting so much activity on that site that, and I really wanted just to showcase my flies, my products. I decided to create a Facebook group. I know. I'm a member. Panfish on the Fly. We are probably by the end of the year going to exceed 40,000 members. That's amazing. I never in my wildest dreams thought that there were this many, you know, Panfish panfish aficionados out there that were uh, so there, there really is kind of a little underground movement going on with these fish. And so there are resources out there to, you know, if you have an interest in this kind of yeah. stuff. There's a number of Facebook groups out there. Um, I think mine, by far and large, is the largest out there right now. That's cool. But there's some, there's some good ones out there. Well, that's cool. Bart, when the book comes out, uh, we just kind of come to the show. When, well, how can you get information about you and kind of stay in touch when this book comes out? Yeah, well, um, I am available on all social media platforms, you know, Twitter, Instagram, yeah. social media, even TikTok, although I don't do anything there. But it's Panfish on the Fly across yep. the board everywhere. So that's always a, a good way to keep in touch with what I'm doing. Right. Um, there is a website, Panfish on the Fly, that I maintain a, a pretty popular blog on the site okay. as well as a, an online fly shop and there's um you know the book i've been on you know featured on a, on a number of podcasts including you know the orvis you know tom rosenbauer's yeah. podcast and there's been about a half a dozen others so if you if you search for panfish on a fly search for bart lombardo you'll find me yeah before i let you go uh bart what you've been now you said just after six you started about 10 years about in this yeah, space yeah, yep what have you seen in the fly fishing industry over the 10 years as far as changes and as it specifically talks about panfish. Well, the one thing that I noticed since day one when I started coming out to these shows, I was a little apprehensive at first. It was like, you know, am I going to be looked at like some sort of weirdo out there, you know, this panfish <laughs> With your little guy? Sunfish. Yeah, you know, but the exact opposite is what's taking place. Yeah. You know, you can walk by my booth at any given time and you're always going to find somebody in front. Apparently, there's a lot of closet panfishers out there <laughs> that, you know, these are not glamorous. 
glamorous fish. You know, behind us here, we have this beautiful brown trout. They're not photogenic like that. They fit in the palm in your hand. But there's a lot of folks out there enjoying these fish, and I think I'm, I'm just doing my part to, to keep that going. Well, that's awesome, man. Bart, it's been great to have you on. Yeah, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Thoroughly yeah, we enjoyed need it. to do it again, and maybe we need to go in Castellana and catch some of these pumpkin seeds Absolutely. and crappie. Absolutely. And maybe even uh, some smallmouth. I, I, you know, I didn't realize that they were so closely connected together. Yep, all the same family. Yeah, because you do find those kind of barbs, you know, the on the, the back plate yep, there. Yep. And, they're all um, members of the same family. you got to learn how to hold these fish, right? Otherwise, That's they're right, going to get you. That's they're, right. They're going to get you. Bart, it's been great to have you on. Thank you so much. Oh, I loved it. Thank you. You've been listening to Fly Fishing Journeys with your host, Rob Giannino. To be notified of new episodes, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or Google Podcasts. You can follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. For past episodes, check out flyfishingjourneys.com. Fly fishing is a journey, and we're glad you're on this journey with us. 